and welcome to the Todd Pod, a podcast to support itinerant teachers of the deaf and hard of hearing, SLPs, and other deaf education professionals. I'm Deanna Barlow from Listening Fun, and today we're talking about auditory verbal therapy with school age kids with Lynn Wood of Listening with Lynn. Thanks so much for being here, Lynn. Yeah, thanks for having me, Deanna. I appreciate being able to talk to your audience and share a little bit. Yeah. Could you so, tell everyone a little bit about your background, who you are, and what you do? Sure, sure. So I'm an audiologist by degree, but work as a listening and spoken language specialist. And I'm in private practice at the Auditory Verbal Center of Wheaton, which is in the Chicago suburbs. And so the one cool thing is my practice was one of the very first devoted to or exclusively working with auditory rehabilitation. So I've been doing this a long time. I began auditory verbal training experience when I was a college student. And I studied early on with some of the pioneers of auditory verbal practice and then later was certified in the group of professionals who sat for the very first auditory certification exam. Wow. Way back in 1994. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But today in my practice, I specialize in pediatric auditory verbal therapy or listening and spoken language. I do post-cochlear implant auditory rehab for teens and adults and also therapy for individuals with auditory processing needs. But my heart of my practice is really auditory verbal therapy, where I guide and coach and inspire hopefully parents or their caregivers so that their children who are deaf and hard of hearing can reach their full potential through listening and spoken language. Yeah, thank you so much for being here to share all that experience with us because I was telling Lynn a little bit before that I really think it's valuable for TODs to like hear more about auditory verbal therapy being actually applied, like not so much just about the strategies, which I think we've all read and thought about, but actually hearing like how it's applied in practice. Because that's always that's what I want to know. That's what I think is really mm-hmm. helpful. Sure, sure. So, Lynn, I'm mm-hmm. I'm really interested from hearing from you about what a typical therapy session with a school age child, not a baby, looks like. Okay. So <laughs> could you talk through a typical session? Right. Sure. I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. Um, while I love supporting anybody across the listening and spoken language journey, um, either if they're babies or kids that are school age, and I'd say, and I was mentioning to you, I see a lot of school age kids, kids that still need services, and that school age population is really diverse. In fact, I'm working with a college age student now, um, and I have in the past, so. It's really your student, you know, across all those ages and things like that. So I would say my auditory verbal sessions are highly individualized. However, all the skills are taught with the emphasis on listening or maximizing audition. I do follow the 10 principles of auditory verbal practice. And as you probably know, six of those principles are based on guiding and coaching parents. Yes. And yes, the college student that I'm seeing is now mom joins us in our teletherapy sessions every week. So I think that family um, and carryover, you know, is really, really important. Mm-hmm. In my practice, I was going to say also that there's so many different kinds of kids and kinds of needs and things like that. So when I look, think back at my school age population, I have kids with progressive hearing loss or kids that started LSL late. Some kids that are transitioning or a couple of kids from hearing aids to cochlear implants. I have a big group of kids that were in private school for children who are deaf and hard of hearing but need more support in the mainstream setting. In fact, we mentioned it too, that kids with multiple needs 
that regardless if they have other co-occurring, I guess you'd say special needs or sometimes we call deaf plus, but regardless, there's many ways that we can provide high quality listening and spoken language services across a big difference of population and things like that. But to go back to your question, if you were going to come into my office and you were here with a school-aged child, you would first learn that my sessions pretty much are very planned out and sort of follow the same kind of manner, which I find is really helpful for parents and things like that. But um, I'd say therapy begins the moment the child, their parent or whoever, significant other, sometimes siblings come, enter my office, they come into the waiting area, they might hang up their coat if it's (laughs) that time of year. But kids learn really early on that that's our time to catch up to share what's new. Lots of kids might bring something they want to show me or tell me about. We chat. I encourage small talk. But beyond the greetings, my goal during that time is to glean information on how does the child seem to be hearing that day? Are they listening? Are they understanding even their mood for that that day? It really keeps me in my toes because once I get into the therapy sessions, I really therapy is always diagnostic in nature. Mm-hmm. Oh, the child's not having a good day or they're not listening as well. But I need to be always able to adapt to the child's needs that day and continuously. So that's the first thing I do is just, we just chit chat a little bit. And, you know, kids don't even know, even when adults walk in with Cochlear Implant Rehab, I usually follow them in and ask them a couple of questions. Are they hearing or not? Yeah. But, the, um, for know. like the itinerant version of that, I do that when okay. I walk down the hallway with the kid. Like yeah. I, when I grab them from the 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 classroom or whatever and we're yep. walking down the hallway I treat that little like two minute walk as our little conversation little catch up but just like you're right. saying like I am listening to how they're speaking and how they're listening to me just like okay like are we are listening hats are on today we're all <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know exactly. it, it is helpful to like it, sometimes that that waste quote unquote waste time like trying to get to your room but it, it can be valuable to do some diagnostic like listening of what's right. going on with them yeah yeah I find it really helpful I get a lot of information even what they're talking about or sharing well I think you might be surprised I do not complete a uh, like a hearing device check or like troubleshooting right away and you're like hey how can you how can you not make sure the children have you know optimal access to sound can I guess can I guess why you don't yeah do it? yeah guess, guess have you, you trained the, have you trained the parents to do it ahead of time exactly yeah exactly yep so all I mean there's not anybody that's going to not Maybe that's exaggerated, but people come here. I have a wide, diverse population, but it's very different than in the schools or center-based service. The parents drive a huge distance lots of times to get here, deal with their insurance type of thing. They'll do what it takes because they want their child to listen and talk. There are also families that they know their kids' objectives. They bring a wealth of knowledge to each session, and I know that what and we'll hear a little bit about what I do in the sessions, but they've played with their kids, they've read to their kids, you know, they worked with them at home and things like that. So I know that's a little bit different. Of course, if there's a problem with their hearing is I have everything we or their implants we check, but we don't waste time on that type of thing. Really kids come in and they know the drill. I have a place in my therapy room that they go right away and we do a listening check. So not hearing aids. So sometimes this may include um, LMH10 sounds or other speech perception measures. And depending on the child's level, um, sometimes we're presenting sounds up close 
or greater distances. Some kids, we are adding background noise, white noise, maybe a multitouch or babble, just sort of to um, replicate what it's like in the real world. But as soon as we do that, the quick speech perception, I tell the kids that we're going to do an auditory workout. They're going to build their, or exercise their listening muscles. So they're sort of used to that. And it's really just a warm-up exercise. And it's different every time. A lot of times it's related to a theme that we're working on or just something to sort of expand their brains and make them listen. So I thought I'd tell you what I did with some of the kids. So a lot of things I do similar all week with a lot of my kids and then fine tune them according to their needs. Mm -hmm, Me too. If that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's just, you can't do individual for everything. So now it's fall. And like the first thing I, I did is auditory discrimination. And I might say, Hey, listen, are these the same or different? And for initial sounds, I might say, um, squirrel squeal they repeat same different repeat the words or leaf versus leaves those kinds of things i get a lot of information too oh they didn't hear that final sound or whatever i'm huge on auditory memory Mm -hmm. for lots of different reasons but i can tell you about that later but what one of the things that i did this week was okay i want you to listen repeat these words in the same order that i say them apple apple seeds Apple cider, Johnny Appleseed. What did you hear? So we want them to do, you know, that. And then I usually do auditory direction. A lot of times these are sort of little active things. So, and it really varies on the complexity and, you know, child to child. These are a little bit trickier that I'm going to tell you, but these are ones that I can get a good information about the child. So one I use this week is it's Friday, so I can tell you what I did all week. Yeah, so, perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. If you like apple pie, say, give me another slice. If not, name your favorite dessert. So, you know, that gives me, they're listening, they're answering, they're comprehending, and they're doing, if not, then what? Type of yeah, thing. I like that. Or, if I like that idea of doing more of the, like, if then questions, because they feel mm-hmm. a little more conversational. So like right. they can answer and then we I can make a comment like it's it's a little more like um that's interesting. And also I like using mm-hmm. the fall topics. I do a lot of theme stuff too. Um okay. just I, just I'm, to keep it interesting me for me too cuz I'm doing this all day yeah. too. Um, <laughs> exactly. exactly. One of my coworkers exactly. always says like if the if you feel bored the kid is probably bored. So like no which I think is totally true. So sometimes I do right. things just right. cuz they're fun for me, but I think that does transfer over into being fun and, for them well, too. Well, I work with yeah, parents a lot and lots of siblings are here. So yeah, you, we have to have fun. And I would say a lot of times I'll get done and say, I had a great day. That was really fun. Yeah. So, but yeah, another example, like I said, sometimes they're active. One other ones I did this week is pretend to catch a football, run down the field, and then fumble the ball. So I'm seeing can they do that? How many critical elements? Can they do all those steps? So that's usually how how I start. The kids always like yeah coming in and doing building up their muscles. They think and you know they think that's pretty funny. I'm gonna like I take notes. Have... I'm gonna like do this later. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's a, those are I fun. A... I like those ideas. <laughs> yeah, I have a resource in my TPT store listed with Lynn. That I think it's called um, listening practice activities. I have about ten of those or whatever, but. They're ones that I actually do all the time. Perfect. Yeah. I have so, a bunch of your resources already, so I'll add one okay, more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same here. We're on the same kind of mind and things like that. So I don't know. You can tell a lot of 
my session already occurs before we're even sitting down. And, and right. we do usually sit at a table and things like that. And what happens is when the family, before they're coming in, I usually place a toy or an item or something of interest related to what we're going to be talking about on the table. So this catches the child's attention while I check in with the parents. And that is really, really important. The beginning, I have to check in with the parents. This week, I have a little stuffed squirrel and a pile of acorns. All the kids went over that. But what happens is the parents share an update from their week. You know what I really like, Deanna, is when a child is at the table sort of looking at that squirrel and then they add, oh, but mom, you didn't say this or you know, whatever, then I know that they, I always want them to attend to the conversations around them, pay attention Mm -hmm. and things like that. So I know, yeah, you're doing really good when you're sort of adding into it type of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, next, and as long as I've been working with a family for a while, this is pretty quick, but I share the overall goals and objectives of that current session, what we're going to do. I usually share teaching and um, like LSL teaching or parent coaching strategies that I plan to use. Like I said, if I said, oh, we're going to use sabotage or we're going to do this, parents pretty much know, you know, if they've been there for a while type of thing. But then one other thing before I actually do start the activities, I briefly restate the objectives again, again, especially for school age kids. I want the kids to know and understand what we're doing and while we're why we're doing it. Yeah. So we're going to be working on your comprehension. We're going to working on, you know, I really want your speech to try the best to use clear speech or, or whatever type of thing. So yes. um, I do that too. I so. think that's so helpful. I think especially for TODs who are working on self advocacy, like just allowing the child to be like a more active participant in their own learning, so that they know what. They have to know what they're working on if they're going to advocate for their right. own learning. So like it all like right. just ties together like nicely yep. when even though I like I'm sure we're going to talk about this too in a second. Like I'm probably uh-huh. working on more than one thing at a time, but I want yep. them to be focusing on a something specific that they can improve on because that's like they're more actively engaged that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just like you said, not only the kids are actively engaged and the smarty pants say, oh, I know we're, why we're doing this. You know, I'll say, you're right. But the parents in my session are very active participants. They take turns. They get to one day with me, practice new skills. They ask questions. And then my goal for the parents is being able to take the lead during an activity. And some families are a lot more natural with that than other families. Some need practice to feel more comfortable or confident. So that really, that's my goal. There's honestly a couple parents that are that's really hard for them you know I guess I would say sometimes it's males that's a little bit harder for or families that English is a second language but we work on that and that does you know get better the the one thing I remind parents is that there are 168 hours in a week and I'm only with them one hour a week so during that time I can guide and coach them but anything that happens important is during their time at home Yes. And things like that. So, yeah. So I I guess I'd also say during that time, I believe that children have the best potential for listening and language skills when their parents have learned how to integrate the auditory verbal techniques into everyday activities and experience. So I really encourage them to follow the child's interests and leads and, um, you know, teach, not test. I think that's something that 
a lot of times happens, a lot of question asking, mm-hmm. a lot of drilling. We don't want to do that. We want to have a conversation. We want to model. We want to, um, if, if you didn't know better, you think that, you know, we're just playing and having tons of fun, which we are. Yeah. But, um, and that's something over the years, I've had lots of students and they are always surprised how conversational it is or how we could be doing activity and totally change it based on what the child says. And I think a lot of people are, oh, we're working on this, check done with that, move to the next uh, topic. And it's not like that at all type of thing. Yeah, I but, really, I mean, I have a whole episode on like teaching, not testing. I feel like that was like okay, the biggest, I that. I have to, truly like right. the biggest thing I learned from like uh-huh. my training for autoverbal therapy was the teach. That was like the thing that made the biggest difference for me in therapy. Like, I feel like, like once I like, once that clicked in my brain, I like everything else made more sense and I could, I feel mm-hmm. like I could do it <laughs> because mm-hmm. really just like it takes down so many barriers. Like a lot of kids don't right. like, they don't, they don't like being tested. They don't like failing. They don't like, you're not going to build a good rapport with them where they're going to like engage with you for a long period of time. If you're constantly right testing them and that's why I kind of like that little auditory workout idea at the beginning because it's like it's framed as like a fun little auditory workout little practice and then like the bulk right. of the session it sounds like it's it's more teaching and modeling and playing and right. a lot more natural and then since like you're saying it is very like diagnostic like you can adjust mm-hmm. it very naturally without like having to like I don't know do a different activity and I feel like I know a lot of your activities that you make are like this and a lot of the ones that I make are like this I they're they're kind of broad. Like they're not like I do write like little directions sometimes because some people find them helpful, but I very rarely mm-hmm. read from them. Like I'm almost always going off what's going on in the session and adjusting up or down right. a little bit like as needed. Um, and I think that that's something that one, I guess you just when you practice it, it gets better. But also like mm-hmm. people, you have to have confidence in your ability to do it. You don't have to read the questions right. off of paper. You can you can listen to the kid and adjust when you are thinking about what you're working on. Exactly. When you said that was a big thing that you learned or you remembered that, I hadn't really thought about this for years, but my real good friend, dear friend Warren Estabrooks, you probably read some of his things. Yes, I have. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember, so he's a little bit older than me, but watching him do therapy and that really, oh my gosh, they were whispering, they were joking, they were, you know, just his whole mannerisms working with kids. I think that that's that conversation. That's, oh, we're friends and we're working on this together. And I think that's when I really learned that. I mean, there I can I'll, I can go over definitely next slide if you want me to choose, like skills that I address for school-age children. So it's, I don't want you to think that we're just sort of chit-chatting and that. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> specific at what I'm working on, but yes. it's the way that it's done. I guess something that's more later preschool from kindergarten, first grade, when kids find out that they come here and this is my job, that's really cool. It seems like when we've had, when we talk about um, occupations or something, and I'll say, do you know what my job is? Do you know what I, no, I don't know what you do. I'm like, this is it. <laughs> and so that that's always pretty fun and things like that. But that's it just so shows. Yeah, yeah. Kids are cute (laughs) all the way around. But yeah, um, the activities or goals vary from child to child, but I still target like the main domains of audition, speech, language, communication, cognition, and that's across auditory, verbal, you know, or listening and spoken language. So just I'll give you a real quick what each of those look like that I can get into more detail. So audition, it might be for a child working through 
Erber's hierarchy of auditory skill development. It might be auditory memory, auditory association, comprehension, and so on. I would say auditory memory, if a child does not have good auditory memory, they're going to get no place of comprehension or you know any of the other things. And I really work on where they're at moving on increasing the comp- complexity. So a lot of people add background noise. I do that sometimes, but I really like to use multitasking. So, so many times you're not, I'll tell, I had a little boy today that I started talking when he was still doing what he, the task he was doing. I saw him for teletherapy and he was like, looked at me and like, what are you doing? I'm not done. And I say, Every, the teacher's not going to look at you and wait until you're done listening that, you know, they're going to keep going and things like that. So I I do a lot of multitasking, a lot of that's, I guess, a little bit of sabotage. But um, kids in my office, I might have a a pretty complex puzzle, some kind of those brain buster puzzles, or um, even a jigsaw puzzle, or I have some blockhead, like a balancing game. So while I'm asking the questions or talking about whatever our topic is, they're having to build that at the same time. Yeah. So multi, they're having to listen and do something else such as life. So that's really important skill for. I also attending. do that a lot. Yeah. I, I really like that. Are, yeah, exactly. Or I feel like that applies taking? a lot better to life than background noise. I know background noise obviously exists a lot, but like, we, I feel like I like harp on what the teachers like, no background noise, reduce background noise. And right. a lot of times they do a good job reducing background yeah. noise a lot mm-hmm. of the time, mm-hmm. but the kids are still mm-hmm. busy and they're still distracted. And right. I feel like it's much more like real life when they're actually yeah. doing Me something too. while Me you're too. talking about whatever you're talking mm-hmm. about. And mm-hmm. also that's another thing I thought that has helped with behavior is like, they're not just sitting there like talking to me like they don't not everyone wants to do that but if we're playing a game (laughs) believe it or not not everyone wants to sit there and talk to me but um yeah I know it helps with engagement and it's more challenging so it's kind of like a win-win for me yeah yeah now I I say for like note-taking for older kids they need Mm -hmm. to do that all the time yeah games we play games with almost everything I'm a big personally in my personal life and Uh therapy you know board games and things like that so that's an audition as a speech. I'm not a speech pathologist, but I really work on kids school age. I tell them we're working on your clear speech, you know, doing the best that they can. And that's using their auditory feedback loop. So they hear it, think it, say it. I use um, sort of an old strategy, I think, or old speech tracking. I don't know if that's a whole lot, but speech tracking is when a child repeats what you're saying word for word or verbatim, phrase by phrase material that's read to them. So that really helps that helps with their prosody and their memory and things like that. So that's something I I work on a lot. Or and this is a, a newer resource in my TPT store. I do a lot of tongue twisters. Me I too. I love tongue twisters. <laughs> okay. Okay. And I have a little game with that. But the tongue twisters really sharpens their speech. They love doing it, you mm-hmm. know, unless it's too hard, but it's giggles, it's fun, it's humor and things like that. So Yeah, I see, like sabotaging yeah, them. Think- I like sabotaging <laughs> the tongue twisters where I say it wrong mm-hmm. on purpose and yeah. they love right. when I mess up a tongue twister because yeah, exactly. one, they like, you know, they think it's funny that I messed up, but also like if I substitute like an S for an F, that's like a real good yeah. test for me right. of if they're um, perceiving that on like a connected speech level. So it's really- exactly. Um, helpful information and it's fun. And usually I just Google them. So I'm glad you've collected some because I'll go, I'll go download I that. Just, <laughs> I actually have 
a little game that goes with it that makes sort of that not only they roll the dice and they have to maybe say it so many times and there's a um, I'm trying to think an, an activity that if they roll this one then they have to twist like a tornado there's yeah activities that they do with that and I forget what number six is but yeah so sort of work on that um, and I found it's more than anything making them accountable making them you know you can slow down. You can make sure you put your ending sounds on, things like that. Of course, if a child has a, a problem with articulation that I refer out, we work together. But I, I found speech tracking, tongue twisters, clear speech I talk, talk about really helps kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, of course, the next thing we always work on language. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. So working on vocabulary as well as linguistic structures like syntax. We want the child to understand the receptive language and expressive language. Another domain, communication. So that's like pragmatic or social language. You know, are they good at asking questions? Do they understand slang or sarcasm? Self-advocacy comes underneath that. And then cognition. I always tell parents we want them to think with the language they know. You know, think with language. And then my job there is to be really um, aware of the development of the whole child I'm working with and making sure that my expectations for their academics or cognitive based on who they are are developmentally appropriate. Yeah, that was something that I also found really helpful to think about is to it's important for us to be aware of the child's cognitive level. So that way Mm -hmm. we can shoot to get their language and their audition to match that. But we can't necessarily exceed that. So we we can we can certainly work to push forward the child's uh, global development. But um, Mm -hmm. you can't go past like the cognition needs to need to be aware of what the cognition is, so you know what you're working towards. And I feel like if you're working with kids with multiple disabilities or um, kids who are older, like it's really helpful to talk to the special ed teacher or talk to whoever Mm -hmm. is working on their cognition like all day um, to get a sense of what they're doing. So that way you're picking materials that are appropriate and that you're picking goals that can actually like work towards getting them to like a more um, even development, right? Like everything more on the same page. A lot of people, some people don't realize how important it is to know about normal child development in all areas, but that's foundation for everything we do. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. In college, I was, I was always a nanny. So like I spent a lot of time around typically developing toddlers and little kids. And it was nice because like I would hear the way they speak and then I mm-hmm. could use that as like ideas for what I would like to target with my toddlers right. that I, when I got a little, when I started yeah. working because I knew like I went like, like combining two words, like I know what words they tend to combine because I heard typical developing right. toddlers put sure. together these funny little phrases and things. So I think that's, I mean, a lot of TODs do push in for a certain amount of time into the classroom. So Mm -hmm. I feel like we're lucky that we do have a good amount of exposure to um, like typically developing peers a lot of the Mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. even like you were going back to like slang and like just like being aware of like what type of language it's helpful for them to know, Mm -hmm. I think is important to keep in the Mm -hmm. back of your head that. Although I'll be honest, I'm getting to the point where I'm not even catching all the slang anymore. So I feel like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I try my best, yeah. but like I have right. a brother who's a lot younger than me. I ask him sometimes. I'm like, what does this mean? Like, <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. But sarcasm's I, another huge thing, though. Too, oh. I have found because it's not just it's not the words; it's how it's said. Yeah, and so that really is something that lots of kids with hearing loss need work on or find difficult to listen to the intonation patterns or whatever like that. But when you're saying you nanny, well, I'm a grandma now. So it's sort of reverse, you know, I listen to <laughs> what my grandkids are saying and what they're doing and, and things like that. So, which is sort of fun, which is fun. Yeah. I did hear you say about that use like thematic units or holiday things that um, I, I, I find school age kids, that still need my service really struggle with vocabulary. Yeah. And I mentioned before, their vocabulary is probably because of weak auditory memory or they have difficult auditory comprehension because of not being able to remember what's happened or, or just lack of exposure. So I do use thematic units with my caseload while I'm targeting, you know, the auditory skills, memory association, sequencing or whatever. But I really find, and even a lot of my resources are seasonally based. So it could be seasonal. It could be um, holidays. It could be just separate um, sports, you know, whatever like that. But I really find the background knowledge of reoccurring, we'll say, seasons is fundamental for, like, academic and language success. We know that the more the child hears and the more that's repeated about a topic, it's easier to comprehend. And retain information, vocabulary grows. In my opinion, when maybe a therapist just introduces something different every time or not the repetition, I, I, I don't think I wouldn't find that as helpful. And I find the repetition really um, encourages or, you know, like that. It also is really engaging yeah. for families that um, parents can easily target and carry over themes that were you know, I've introduced in therapy. So right now, autumn is such a fun time. Yeah. I mean, they can autumn read books the about that. for themes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep, exactly. Autumn and spring so rake- for me are the two good yeah. ones. Right. And who likes winter? None of us. But yeah, <laughs> raking leaves, apple picking, you know, through, through stories and experience, they can carry over. But another thing um, related to that, I don't know if, if you do this. It sounds like we do so many things together. <laughs> I do you, or not together, I mean, similar. I use a language processing hierarchy mm-hmm. and I don't know if, yeah, so that, um, sure I do, yeah. so, okay. Okay. So, and I do it almost like I work with, um, the season. So, um, in the summers I do something different because of people taking off and different things, but each September, most of my kids, we work on categorization. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter what level they're at, but I target categories and families know, that they're doing categories. When October rolls around, we target auditory associations and then move on to comparisons. So, you know, how do things go together? Comparisons, same and different type of thing. But each month, because I'm doing this hierarchy, builds on the previous month's learning or information and things like that. I go on to um, December, I guess it's antonyms, synonyms, move on to multiple meetings, March is absurdities, right? And with a little leprechaun doing absurd things and moves on to like April Fool's Day. So I you know, put all these language and thematic units together or whatever type of thing. 
I love that idea. um, I don't actually do it so structured like that, but I think I will because that's such a good idea because like in your head, then you know you're building. Like it's a lot clearer on your end to make sure that you're building like every month you're making, you're hitting new stuff. But I have a lot of teachers like ask about like, what's like a good vocabulary curriculum or like, how do I help kids with vocabulary? And it's like, this is actually how you help kids with vocabulary because it's not really about, it's not really about like learning new words per se. It's about Mm -hmm. like expanding Mm -hmm. on the word nuances that you already know. Exactly. So like, I don't need you to know more animals. I need you to know like describing the animals and categorizing the animals and things associated with the animals. And that's how you'll get into like Mm -hmm. the actual like nitty gritty of vocabulary. Right. And I really like the idea of um, building in that way. I'm going to start that. I'm going to do that. Um, (laughs) I feel like just for for organizing it on yourself, it's even because that's so applicable to a TOD because we we work on language Mm -hmm. and vocabulary all the time with like every not every kid but a lot of them like that's a super common task for us to work on and I feel like keeping that in the back of your head that like this month I'm mostly talking about categorizing and then this month I'm mostly talking about associations I feel like you can really hit a breadth of vocabulary that way and for me guiding and coaching families that really makes it I, I think when the kids are younger there's so much to work on you're doing so many different things parents sometimes get lost but I find this is really effective in working with parents so in September they know remote you know our big thing is categories and we're doing fall and you know every week it's specific fall that I do type of thing but um so it's really effective like that so we and even like so say if I if it's a kindergarten we start this hierarchy next year I repeat it but then it's just more difficult higher level and things yeah. like that. I, w- I don't know how I actually came up with this. I've been doing it for quite a few years. And it seems to, I don't see a whole lot of people doing that. But it's worked well with me. <clears throat> I remember when my um, son-in-law was in grad school. To get into grad school, he had to, maybe you did, I don't know, take a test called the Miller Analogy Test. Mm-hmm. And the whole test was all analogies. Wow. And I didn't really think that much about analogies before that time. And then I realized, well, of course, analogies, the only way you're going to answer it is if you have a good vocabulary. Yeah. So, you know, you can't guess what, what it's going to be. But the other thing is, it's all about word relationships. So my last month in May, I use analogies. Well, analogies are usually um, big is to huge as little is to blank. You know, they're either synonyms. They're opposite or antonyms. They're parts of holes. They're all the things we've worked on. Yeah. Are at the last month. Then you realize, oh my gosh, look how much they've learned. How and parents are just like, wow, it. You know, everything has come together. Not everything, but it really works out great. So you'll have to try to and let me know. Type uh, yeah, but, I do. I love working on analogies. That's feel like, I feel like that's kind of my like go-to for some of the kids that I work with that have like seemingly have a lot of vocabulary and I'm uh-huh. trying to find the pockets of things that I can expand right. on. I feel like analogies are a great way to find those pockets because they might know a lot of words, but not know a hundred percent how they all connect to each other. So exactly. That is what exactly. for, for those kids, that it's not obvious what like and like I, I've talked about this mm-hmm. before I don't like just like pulling out like a list of vocabulary words like I really want yeah. it to be like 
connected to something else, like in contact mm-hmm. with something else. And a lot of times I'll pull from the classroom. But then from sure. there, it's nice to put those classroom things into analogies. Mm-hmm. So just take it one step further. Right. And you, I just right. make them up on the spot. Like I just, I with a whiteboard. And then once oh, they can okay. do it with the whiteboard, then I just do it auditory only. Once they have mm-hmm. like a strong yeah. enough auditory memory to handle all mm-hmm. that, um, it's a really good auditory memory task too. So right. I really like analogies. Yeah, I love that too. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I guess the last thing, of course, is self-advocacy and personal responsibility. And self-advocacy and sort of all those related skills are built into every lesson. Every single thing I do, I have the kids be responsible. I have, you know, I ask questions. However, we do, um, it's a huge topic and it starts off from, you know, very little kids what what they're doing to, you know, even my college age student things that I'm working with her with that type of thing. I wasn't going to bring this up like with my preschoolers. One, I do a lot of experiential language activities, so things they get to do. One of the things that I do with them early on is making lemonade, and so you can talk about all what all is involved in that. But sort of what I I start introducing being the boss of your hearing loss. And when you make lemonade, the lemon's sour, but how you go and you take a bad situation and turning lemons into lemonade. Mm -hmm. And I sort of start off with that kind of thing. And then I have lots and lots of resources that I do. Okay, this is a situation. Is it something to do with your hearing? Is it an environment? Is it, you know, all those different things. And then, you know, work on on self-advocacy or across the board with, lots of different ways. And honestly, a lot of my resources that I make on self-advocacy are situations of real kids in my caseload. Yeah. So, in fact, it's sort of funny. I just went um, a couple weeks ago to a, a boy that I saw for therapy. He's a high schooler now, but he just became an Eagle Scout. And I was invited to his Eagle Scout ceremony. And I told him that I just that week had done a whole scenario of someone therapy that was based on something that he had done at the Dairy Queen back in the day. Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> so he was like, wow, you remember? He goes, I remember that, that, that happened. I won't get into that now. But um, I'm sure that's really like have, salient though. Cause it's like, it's, it's real, it's real stuff that's actually happened. It's real I have, stuff, exactly. I have that lemons to lemonade resource you were talking about. Oh, I use it all the time. And because it's nice. Cause like, they're so like the situations are like specific. So, uh-huh, and uh-huh. it's like, um, helpful for the kids to see that like other children have had these struggles before them and it's there's solutions out there that we can figure out together I do Mm -hmm. think Mm -hmm. that's helpful and obviously I love working on self-advocacy I do it all the time I do too yeah one of my favorites of mine is never have I ever and it's like it asks the kid have you you know never have I ever done this and they're like for it's all about bluffing so you know everybody thinks they don't bluff and they realize they spend their life bluffing and things like that so yeah yeah exactly so yeah I don't I can sort of tell you a little bit how my sessions end which is a little bit different than yeah yeah. please do okay so um when it's sort of getting close to time to go I rather than just sort of ending it I asked the kids to tell me what was the most fun thing we did today what did you like the most or um you know what was really hard for you but they're having to recall and share that information. And the reason I do that, yes, it's good for auditory memory and recall skills, but it also keeps them accountable that they have to know why we're doing what we're doing 
and things like that. So um, I, I was I mentioned before auditory memory. I just think that is the most important aspect. Once you get kids listening and paying attention, that you're not going to get very far in syntactic complexity if they don't have the memory. You're not going to, you know, continue with the comprehension. But so anyhow, I just start the kids tell me what they like best. I said, oh, maybe we'll do that next time or whatever. But then the parents are given time to reflect and ask questions and summarize, you know, what we did. And then we spend a few minutes um, reviewing and then brainstorming ways to implement the goals at home for that week. And I usually, as long as the parents have been with me a long time, I'm, you know, I ask them, I said, what do you think you could do to carry that over? Or this was really easy um, or this was difficult. You know, what, what do you think you could do? And parents are the best therapists, you know, like I said, once you, once they get it and interactive, man, I'll just, I have a really good video of a mom that pretty much took over the entire session one time with a little boy and I had a observer with me and it was really, they were just like, my goodness or whatever. But so that's sort of how I wind up the session. Well, almost there's one more thing that I do. So my after school kids, are pretty much back-to-back. In the day, I have about 15 minutes in between. So they're back-to-back just because of there's so many hours in the after school for them to get here and um, get home and things like that. Right. So my kids often meet each other as one is leaving and the next one arrives. So I intentionally walk out with them and never let them just walk past each other. I can't mm-hmm. tell you in the past, I've even had parents just totally walk past each other. And then I realized, no, 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 this is not happening. So now I walk out with them. I usually, you know, get them going. The kids get to know each other, but I encourage, and it's a great time for me to model, you know, polite greetings or small talk, small talk between the kids and adults. That's something that's not a salient small talk, just the chit chat or whatever. But it mm-hmm. allows me in real life to um, work on nonverbal and verbal pragmatic skills. And that's something that's often needed with this age type of thing. Not only do they sometimes feel a little awkward, they just don't know how to do that or whatever. So over time, you know, I want them to use appropriate greetings, maybe even face each other or smile. Ask appropriate, oh, you're in gymnastics. How did your meat go? Or, you know, initiate type of thing. But just those small conversational turns. It's also um, a good time to work in clarification. Some kids sort of maybe are a little shy and look down. Another kid has to learn to ask, you know, can you tell me that again or whatever. And then I always want them to leave without see you next week or got to go or whatever like that. And then I guess there's one more thing. It's sort of cool. A lot of my um, kids may be the only child with hearing loss in their school or in their class, but they get to know another child, at least somewhat, who has hearing aids or a Baja or whatever. And see that child is listening and talking and thriving too. So that's sort of how I end the sessions. And they're always fun. Um, Usually always fun. But, you know, it's sort (laughs) of a whole routine that I go through. And like even that last thing, they they know that someone's going to be on the other side of that door when they are ready to walk out. And it's something that we can practice together and things like that. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that sounds exactly. great. I feel like it, that the whole thing is like jam packed from start to finish. Like every activity has goals behind it and like a purpose, even things like at the beginning, at the end that we can mm-hmm. think about when we're doing our sessions in the schools. Maybe it looks a little different. 
but keeping in mind that like, oh, I can use this time in the hallway or when I'm returning them, I can model some proper farewells or greetings or whatever. Right. Right, um, right. to the other teachers or the other kids when you're pushing in like I do that a lot too um, mm-hmm, and I feel like it's just been really helpful to hear like in detail about an autoverbal therapy session mm-hmm. because being able to like pick and choose some of these things to apply to teaching is is really really helpful so thank mm-hmm. you so much for taking the time to sure, share sure. all of that with us right. um, say, I, yeah I was just gonna say real quick I don't know I mean I have worked for myself for so many years. I was a clinical audiologist and I've done this. So even though I'm in contact with a lot of people, some of the things I do have worked for me. Doesn't mean that it's what most people do or whatever like that, that just sort of, but I I think I'm referring to, you said about planning your sessions. So I might know that I'm working on this theme, but there's not a kid or adult that comes through. I've not planned their their lesson, and I I follow a lot of different people on social media. And I just saw somebody I don't know who it was today put, oh, I don't usually plan my lessons because what I plan doesn't usually work out anyhow. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, <laughs> I couldn't plan. Yes, you can be adaptable, but I also I feel really accountable to these families. I mean, they're trusting us to work with their child we need to get them to a certain point so yes i i am organized i do know what i want to do next even if it doesn't come to fruition but i think that that's what we're called to do if we're in this field to do our best that we can for you know the kids and their families so anyhow i'll get off my soapbox but (laughs) no problem when people don't plan i just don't understand that so, yeah, yeah. I, I do think in the school, sometimes there's things that throw you that like the teacher will hand you a packet and be like, they have to finish this. And I'm like, they have to finish it right now in my session. That's that's what needs to happen. <laughs> and sometimes right. that truly is what needs to happen. And that's when I put on my little hat of like trying to figure out how can I take this passage and incorporate all of my listening goals and language goals and self-advocacy goals into this can. activity. And I can, yeah. it, I, we all can, we all do it. Um, so right. I think, you know, sometimes you, you have to make it work, but that doesn't mean I didn't have a plan. <laughs> like I, I, it just means I can't always execute the plan, but yeah, I do think right. having an idea though, of what you're going to work on, even if it's mostly like objectives, um, it's easier mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. think on the fly and adapt when you already know what you're trying to work on. I so agree. like, even uh-huh. if the actual toys or games are not mm-hmm. what you planned, I at least know what I was going to work on. Sure. And sure, well, exactly. I'll do other episodes about how I plan for itinerant because I do think it's like a different beast then. Because I also mm-hmm. go into the home for early intervention and even that planning is different because I believe mm-hmm. it or not, I think I actually have more control over that because there's not so many other adults and like so many other things that can go on in the school. Sometimes right. I don't even get a room. So I'm like, okay, I got to yeah. figure out where I'm going to sit with this child first. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I, exactly. that's like a whole other thing. But that's what I mean, though. It's like, right. I love hearing how other people do things. Like, I love to mm-hmm. hear from someone who plans meticulously because I can mm-hmm. take bits and pieces of how you plan and then apply it to how I plan. And I just think, right. I just love, I love hearing people talk about how they do things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what your podcast, why people are just get more and more popular because you're talking about and having people share their expertise. Yeah. And we, we're in a small field, you know, that yep. <laughs> I, I guess also with all our, well, most of our conference going remotely. I mean, it used to be, we go to conferences and we'd stay up all night chit-chatting about what you're doing in therapy or what's your best toy or what what happened here with this you know that's how we learned back in the day and now 
podcasts are great for for that type of thing. Yeah. If if people have like more questions or if they want to see some of your resources, could you share where everyone can find you online? Sure. My website is hearsay. So hearsay and then LW, my initials, LW.com. I guess it's hearsayLW.com. And like Deanna, I do create resources. Uh, They're on a couple different platforms, but my main platform is Teachers Pay Teachers and it's Listen with Lynn. So thank you for listening to me today (laughs) and inviting me, Deanna, to share with, with all the people that, you know, are follow you on your platform was great. Of course. I'm a good talker. (laughs) I I like to talk. I also like to talk. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, But I'll link all of Lynn's things in the show notes so that you can find them. Everything uh, we mentioned today, I'll go through and link in the show notes along with the transcript down below and uh, listen to toddpod.com. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast in the future to share about your area of expertise or interest, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at listening fun. And I hope you have a great week and I'll see you next time. Bye.